You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, good morning. Good to be with you. I meant to say this in our first service, but uh, last week, uh, uh, Pastor Daryl Del Huse came and he did such a great job, I heard. You guys like that guy? Yeah, he's great. He's a lot of fun. He's what, so I guess you didn't really like him that much. That's okay. Uh, now, he's one of my, my top just mentor friends, and he was a former uh, president of Phoenix Seminary and then a uh, former senior pastor at Scottsdale Bible. Wonderful, great man. And so hopefully you were deeply encouraged by him. Uh, so anyway, excited to be back. Just got back uh, this last week from uh, being with family. So we had about 35, 40 folks for our, our Thanksgiving gathering. Sister came in from St. Louis, and so I had a ton of fun. Uh, I was in either a deer stand or a duck blind before the sun came up every day. And so, uh, and I was, I'm phys- I was physically exhausted because I didn't get a lot of sleep, but spiritually and emotionally and relationally supercharged and just had a fantastic time with family. 22-hour trip one way. So it's, a, it's a quite a haul. Stayed there over there in Tucumcari uh, about halfway through or so. Uh, in between uh, the road trip and, uh, overnight and had a lot of fun as a family. So great to be back. Love you guys and super uh, excited about today. We're kicking off a brand new series called the Givers Series. And so we're staying in the Gospel of John and we're going to look at the classic Bible verse out of John three sixteen. And so with this theme of givers, uh, what we're going for is understanding that God is the greatest giver of all. And then as a result, we ought to be the givers of the world as well. And so this is not a financial series, although I'll challenge you to give financially. It's really a look at the character and the nature of God and who he is as a giver. And know, knowing that Christians uh, from generation to generation are just givers. They should be givers, uh, not takers in life, but just givers. And uh, so here's what we're going to do, just to get a little census going. Um, how many of you really like giving gifts? Would you just raise your hand? You, there's a lot more gift givers in the second service than the, second, than the first service. So you guys are, must be the generous folks. How many of you, though, would just love receiving gifts? Would you raise your hand? Okay, don't feel guilty. If you love gifts, raise them now. And then uh, those of you that know each other, then you would, should get that person a gift. Uh, how many of you have a secret stash at the house? Those of you, especially with kids, that you hide all the presents, would you raise your hand? So look around, especially you kids, there's a secret stash in that house. And then how many of you kids know where the secret stash is at? Yeah, there you go. And some of the parents were surprised. Uh, there was never a Christmas that went by where I didn't know where the secret stash was. I grew up in a household with uh, two other brothers, so that was our mission. Like, where's the secret stash this year? And we would find it out, and then we would have to pretend we were surprised when we got our gifts on Christmas, <laughs> but we knew all along exactly what they were. So, um, you know, the story of, um, that we're going for today is looking at... Um, as God, as the greatest giver of all times. And Christmas is a season about the importance of giving. And uh, up and messes up, the father says, son or daughter, you did wrong, but you need to know I will always love you, no matter what choice that you make in life. The kind of love that our heavenly father has for us is unconditional. 
when God looked down at you and, and you were created, God saw you and he loved you. He loved you with a love that's, that we don't even fully understand. Uh, he loved you not because he knew that you would choose him. He didn't love you because he figured that one day you would do something great. He didn't love you because you were a part of a Christian family. He just loved you. He loved you just because of who you are and you're a human being. And what we think oftentimes is that if we're doing something great, then God would love us more. But this is not at all the gospel message. Jesus says, for God so loved. It is an unconditional love. It's an unfathomable love as well. The Apostle Paul said it like this, talking about the love that he saw in his own life, who, by the way, was somebody who was completely antagonistic against the Christian faith, becomes overwhelmed with the power of, of God in the person of Jesus Christ, meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. His whole life is transformed, and then he writes about God's love. He says this, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. There's nothing that you can do that can separate you from God's love. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or non-Christian, you can't be separated from God's love. Doesn't matter if you do something righteous or something wicked, you can't be separated from God's love. God's love is so extensive, so intensive, that it is immersed for every person on the planet. For God so loved, the scripture tells us this, that God so loved. So what should this do for you and me? I think what it ought to do is give you a great sense of value, that God loves you. He just loves you, not for what you're going to do, not for what you did. He just loves you. That's a good feeling, to be unconditionally loved. If you've been in a marriage before, um, you know sometimes it feels like marriage can be conditional, that the love can be. You're like, okay, if I do A, B, and C, then I feel love. If I don't do A, B, and C, I do not feel loved. God's love, unconditional, unconditional. This is what overwhelms people. It's got to be conditional. Nicodemus thought it had to be conditional upon keeping the law, being religious, doing good things. No, for God so loved. Um, it should give you a great sense of acceptance, a good sense of confidence, a good sense of courage. There's an unconditional love over your life. Um, no matter what you've done, no matter what you do, God loves you. That is the Christian message. Billy Graham regretted that he didn't talk more about God's love. If I had one message correction on my life over the last nine years of having started this church is that I haven't told you enough that God loves you. Uh, that's because John, the apostle John, who wrote this gospel, he speaks about love as the mega theme throughout the rest of scripture. So, uh, who does he love? Well, the Bible says, the second thing we're going to learn is that God so loved the world. The world. The word for the world is the cosmos, or is where we get the word, the cosmos. It is, uh, 
uh, spelled K-O-S-M-O-S, and it has kind of two different meanings. One is, is the inhabited earth, meaning where people are, and then the other uh, meaning behind it is of all of creation. So, of course, it means the inhabited people. So, God loves all the people on the planet. In every country, for all times, in all places, God loves the world, all people. All people. Doesn't, doesn't uh, relegate it to a specific religious group, doesn't relegate itself to a particular race. And by the way, as much as we love Nicodemus, Nicodemus was steeped in a bad theology that went corrupt and was probably a racist. Uh, the Jews hated the Gentiles. Nicodemus was deeply Jewish and had a vision that God loved the Jews. Didn't love the Gentiles, loved the Jews. And the Bible tells us that's not the case at all. It is the entire planet of all people. Um, theologically and biblically, the reason why we can hold to this idea too is the Bible says um, that God made male and female, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, in his image. That is the Latin phrase called the Imago Dei. Let's all say a big Latin word, Imago Dei. Yep. We named our church that in the very beginning. It was very cool. You know, uh, we were, we kind of said we were, we were uh, relationally inclusive and doctrinally exclusive. And then people botched our name so bad that um, they called us the Imago Deli. They called us um, they thought we were a Muslim mosque. They thought that we were a deli. They thought that we were a Spanish church and they expected me to preach in Spanish. And I disappointed people and confused people for a couple of years. And so we changed the name of the church to North Valley. Um, but the Imago Day is a very powerful doctrine that affirms and gives credibility and substantiation that God can love the entire world, all people. And what this means is, is that God loves all people regardless of race, religion, lifestyle, or anything. Um, and so there is a cultural argument that would say something like this. Well, if God loves all people, then, then um, so should Christians. And that is true. Christians should love all people. But what is happening right now in Christendom or Christianity for today is that there's a great emphasis on God's love and abandonment towards truth. And we live in what's called a post-truth culture. So it is very true that God loves all people. Um, he loves all different kinds of people. Um, I said this earlier, but I'll say it again. I said that he loves the rich, the poor, the gay, the straight, the addict, the sober, the religious, uh, the irreligious. He loves the Democrats. He loves the Republicans. He even loves the Green Bay Packers <laughs> fans, and he loves the Seahawks fans too. I can't believe that. Um, but he loves all people. Um, the Jewish folks would have thought he only loves the Jews, in today's time, we think in a lot of, even in the conservative evangelicalism, the, the reformed people think that God could only love the elect, the predestined, the chosen. 
Um, this is not what the scripture teaches us. And so the argument is, in culture right now, that God loves all people, so should Christians, but there's a push for loving, being very loving, but dismissing truth. And so let me push on that just for a moment. Remember, Jesus was said to be full of grace and full of truth. Chapter 1, verse 14. Chapter 1, verse 17. So I would argue grace and love, almost synonymous, and then truth. So we need love, we need truth, we need both. There's a, me- a mega emphasis for all Christians to be loving, and if you, re- you, uh, uh, if you speak up or speak out against a lifestyle that is contradictory to the plain uh, teaching of Scripture, then you're labeled a bigot, a fundamentalist, and so on. The right now, the problem for today is that we emphasize love, but with an absence of truth. We talk about grace, but we've lost our roots in truth. The, um, specifically, within the LGBTQ community right now, there are, um, I would say, Christian influencers that are speaking at mainline denominations, um, our Episcopalian friends, our Presbyterian friends at some level, um, the Methodist friends, um, and they are speaking about God's love and specifically about Jesus, and teaching the idea that because God is loving, he loves all people, true, um, but then they abandon the other teachings of Scripture outside of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and reject many of the biblical books that we would hold within our Bible, specifically the epistles, where particular lifestyles are, are spoken of as complete, being completely against God's will, And they abandon those, and they hold to the God as love. Jesus, not as a substitutionary uh, uh, atonement for sin, but as the great example for love. And it just is eroding our truth focus in Christianity. Um, I have two books that have helped me to grasp on both sides of the conversation that's going on right now. It is very true that God loves all people. He loves every single person on the planet, but loving all people doesn't endorse, support, affirm every lifestyle choice, amen? So you have to realize as a Christian that you can love people, but you don't have to like the behaviors. It's like if my kid runs out, steals, and does something terrible, and I say, that's wrong. The Bible tells us so. We don't live like that. I can say, I love you, but I do not like that, and you cannot live like that at my household. Amen? So it's in the same regard. My exhortation and put it, spending a little more time on this is to affirm the idea that we ought to love the, love the world, love all people, but not at the abandonment of truth. And so two books, those of you that are readers, um, one is, is We Will Not Be Silenced by Erwin Lutzer, um, and it's a great book. Erwin Lutzer uh, writes a great book about all the hot topics you can imagine, every single issue that you're wrestling with right now in culture. Great book. Affirms the traditional Christian historical perspective in theology and life application. The opposite book that is destroying what we would hold to as traditional Christian values is a book written by a lady by um, Nadia Boltz Weber. And her book is called Shameless. And what she does in the book, she is a person who went through the church got hurt by the church, 
becomes a transgender major speaker and influencer to all these denominations and creating a new version of Christianity, which emphasizes God's love. So this is an iPhone. I think this is a 12. How many of you got the 13? Would you raise your hand? There you go. Some of you got the 13. We've got like 15 different versions of Christianity right now. And where the variance is, is on the truth factor. So here we go. God so loved the world. Agree. That is all people. That means that you and I should love all people, no matter where they come from. But that does not mean that we abandon truth. Okay? We ready to move forward? Okay. The third idea here found in the passage, oh, back on the world, I think just for a moment, is that uh, it means the, all of creation too. Not just people, but God loves, God loves the lakes, the rivers, the grass, the trees, and if you're in Phoenix, you, you probably love those too and you get tired of the brown. But I'm telling you, when the Bible says that God created the world in the very beginning, he says he created everything and it was very what? Good. So God loves, he loves the world. But at the top of his creation is people. Um, if God loves the world, so should we. Number three, the Bible tells us that he gave. I was thinking about like, first of all, about giving and I was thinking, asking the question to myself, why do we give? And if you're honest, many of you give out of obligation. You got invited to a birthday party, so you got to get them a, help me out, a gift. Uh, for Christmas, Christmas is coming and every kid expects a gift. You got invited to a wedding shower, you got to get them a, a gift. There's obligation in that. Um, but what was God's motive in giving? Was God obligated to give? God was not obligated. The theological category is God is free. He's not obligated to you. He's not obligated to me. He's completely content all by himself. He created you uh, for a, the motive of his giving was not to fulfill an obligation. And by the way, Jesus was involved in very a key influencer in all of creation. According to John chapter 1, even looking back in Genesis, the, there's a plural a word, let us make man in our image. So therefore, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, were all involved in the creation of humanity. Um, what was God's motive uh, for giving? God's motive for giving was love. And I would argue that giving is probably the greatest testimony of love. If I, if I love my wife, I give my time. If I love my wife, I give my, my resources. If I love my wife, I give her my life. God loves you not because he's obligated to love you. He loves you and gives to you because he loves you. That's pretty amazing. God gave because of love. John 3.16 tells us that. Uh, Romans 6.23 talks about it being a free gift. It's literally free. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. It's what we naturally earn. We accrue it. It's spiritual uh, darkness, uh, eternal separation, a life without hope, a life without walking in holiness. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
So it's a free gift, like the, the presence right here at, on the stage or at home under your tree. There's a gift there. And you know you're just going to tell the kids, open your gift. And if you're a good parent, you don't threaten them and say, well, you've been bad, therefore I'm not going to let you open your gifts on Christmas. That'd be terrible. You just give them to them. And in doing that, uh, you're showing your love because you're giving to them. The Bible says that it's a free gift, that you don't earn it. And this would have rattled the cage of Nicodemus's mindset. It's a totally free gift. Uh, and what does he give? Verse, uh, moving on in the verse, point number four is he gives his only son. That idea of his only son is uh, something for us to spend just a little bit of time on. It's the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ eternally existed, as I mentioned in John chapter one. It mentions that, um, that that he created all things. The Apostle Paul affirms that. In him, all things hold together. Uh, Genesis refers to a plural uh, creation account where the the Godhead was involved in creation. His only son, there was a relationship there. We have at the Bethlehem in celebrating Christmas, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, but that's not the beginning of Jesus. Jesus has eternally existed. Bethlehem was just the part where Jesus takes on flesh. Like if I were to take off this jacket right now, um, what it represents is I'm here. But then when you come to Jesus at Bethlehem, he puts on flesh. That's what happened at Bethlehem. And he didn't come at Bethlehem just to show a positive example as liberal Christianity would teach you. He came far more than just to show you an example. He came to serve as a full representative of mankind, that for every person that has deviated from God's will, God's way, Jesus Christ serves as the perfect example, yes, and that he was sinless. The Bible says he had no sin. Even in his entire life, he didn't sin. And he serves as the perfect substitute for you and me. He did it right. He took our rap. He's the only son, the only person that could ever walk a sinless life. He did it all. And that, my friends, gives us the right relationship with God the Father, is Jesus Christ. And so his only son is a very, very big deal. It is the incarnation, Jesus, at God gives his only son. That's what it means when, when Jesus is speaking about that. He, even in that conversation with Nicodemus, he's referring back that the giving, God so loved that he, help me out, gave his son at Bethlehem. Micah, the prophet, for, for, uh, uh, predicted this would happen hundreds of years before it took place. Isaiah said that he would be born of a virgin. That was fulfilled as well. So he gives his only son, but not only at Bethlehem, but at the cross. God gave his son to die on the cross for the sins of the world. So God gave. God gave. God is a giver. He gives his only son. And then moving on, the fifth thing that we're going to learn is that whoever believes. John 3.16 says, whoever believes. Uh, for This is uh, pretty surprising that all people are welcome to receive Jesus Christ. I remember when I uh, first became a Christian, I was very uh, suspicious that I wouldn't be allowed entrance into heaven because of my... Uh, 
complete, I would say, defiance of Christian leaders and Christian people and my Christian family. And I felt completely unworthy and unacceptable. And it was a youth pastor by the name of Mark DeMoz that kept preaching a gospel like this. And uh, I, just last week, I recorded a video for him on his 60th birthday, and I sent him a message, and I turned around, and I said, this is the chapel where our, our church meets, and this is the baptismal where we baptize folks that believe in Jesus. This is the food place where we gather for food and friendship, and this is possible because you kept sharing the gospel. And... Uh, I struggled for a long time to believe that this is actually true, that whoever believes, uh, this means that we have a message for all people, uh, whoever believes. And so the command is that we see in Mark's gospel and in Matthew say the same thing. It's called the Great Commission. The offer for salvation is for everyone. It's for all people. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 16 says, Jesus commands his disciples and he says, go into the world Proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So there's consequences there. There's eternal decisions at place here. Uh, next week, I'm going to teach you more about what does it look like to be condemned. I mean, it sounds pretty tough. It is tough. But God is full of grace and he's full of truth. And so... The scripture tells us that it's for whoever believes. Number six, the Bible tells us that um, whoever believes should not perish. What does it mean to perish? The common usage of the word when you think of perish, you probably think of uh, perishable items of food uh, and non-perishable. You know, if you were to take a some meat or some fruit, and you set it outside over time, it would perish. And then that fruit, you logically would say, will just basically cease to exist. Um, there are some folks that hold to the idea that there is no hell at all, and the idea would be to perish here would just mean that you cease to exist. They would say, um, no, no there is no hell, you just kind of cease to exist. The correct word of the meaning here when Jesus is referring to this is the idea that we're not talking about uh, just ceasing to exist, but we're talking about eternal life and eternal death. Even in the phrase that we should not perish, but have eternal life. When we die, when life after death, if you're wondering, you do not just vanish you do not just cease to exist. That's actually a heresy, which, by the way, is being pumped out through liberal Christianity. It's called annihilationism, and it means you just cease to exist. Therefore, there is no hell. My problem with that is it violates the clear teaching of Scripture. It doesn't even make sense. And then what do you do with people like Hitler? Oh, he just did all those horrendous sins, and then he dies, and he ceases to exist? There's no justice in that. Um, the Bible doesn't teach that. This word perish literally means that there is a hell. There is a, Jesus referred to it as a place of eternal conscious punishment, which I'll teach you more about that next week. Jesus referred to this as unquenchable 
fire. So you say, well, that's pretty mean and drastic. Well, the Bible clarifies God's uh, heart behind this. In 2 Peter 3, 9, the apostle Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus too, said this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill the promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God, God doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants them all to come to faith in Jesus Christ, but you know and I know not everybody will. You know and I know that not everybody believes. So what's going on here? Well, God promises life if you believe. But for those who reject him, will perish. And the popular message is, is, oh, it's not hell. It's just you cease to exist. Watch next week when I walk through the rest of the scripture. There's no way it could mean that. There's no way it could just mean you perish and you cease to exist. Um, That's a very popular atheistic view. It's a very popular agnostic view. It's a very popular liberal Christian view. That is not a classic, historical, biblical, faithful view. Not at all. So Jesus is full of God's grace and full of God's truth, and he's going to tell you the truth. I think it's an additional encouragement to know, uh, even in the Old Testament, where people say, well, God looks meaner in the Old Testament. Well, even the prophet Ezekiel says this. He speaks for God and says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. In other words, God doesn't take pleasure in anybody rejecting him and spending an eternity in hell. So the last uh, phrase in John 3.16 clearly says that God's desire is, is that they have everlasting life, that you and I would experience everlasting life. I did a series a, a few years ago um, for our church, and it was called The Hope of Heaven. And I did it because I, I just recently uh, experienced a series of deaths of people I loved. And I wanted to give hope and encouragement for friends and family within the church and, and within my own family. And I did a series. And what I learned about uh, this idea, uh, this doctrine, teaching of heaven, is that there's very clearly in Scripture, we learn about the people that are going to be in heaven, the place that's going to be in heaven, and the pathway to heaven. Jesus said it like this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one gets to the Father but through me. And Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus is working on heaven, and God would love for you and everybody that you know to choose to believe in Jesus Christ. The pathway is through Jesus. It's not through Muhammad. It's not through Gandhi. It's not through good works. It's not through a priest. It's not through a pope. It's through Jesus. This is the pathway. It's not by the works that you do. It's not if you work, serve a lot at church. It's not if you give a fortune. It's just simply a free gift that you could open up and you could receive. This is the great news of Christianity. I think that when you and I get to heaven, we'll be probably surprised as to who's there. There'll be some folks there that you're like, I can't believe that guy's here. I would have never thought. They're here. And then there's gonna be some folks that you're like, Where's that guy? I thought, I thought he was supposed to be here. He's not here. 
he did, he did all these wonderful things. He led a mission trip. He did this. He did that. But he was the person that was trying to earn his way to heaven. So here's our message from the Bible, from Jesus, that it's for whoever believes. Whoever believes. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I do pray, Lord, that we would take the seven truths that we just unpacked in John three sixteen, and that we would just take them to heart and let it kind of reshape and maybe redirect some areas in our, in our life. And Father, for those that would say, I'm not certain that I will know what happens life after death, but today they're wanting to place their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray they would do it right now, that the appointed time is today, that your best news that we could possibly grasp is contained in that one little phrase that you had with Nicodemus some 2,000 years ago, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so, Father, for those that would say, I need to do that, I pray they would pray a simple little prayer like this. It just says, Lord, I'm coming to you today. I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge I am far from being perfect. And today I place my faith in you and I believe. I believe. You say, whoever believes, well, I believe. I believe in you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. I accept you as my Lord. And today... I'm confessing you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Hey, the Bible says that if you prayed that, the Bible says that for all who believed, who all receive, he gives the right to become a child of God. So that means you're in the church family, eternal life forever. Amen? Let's celebrate that. Hey, before I leave, I want to give you some practical application, uh, challenge you just for a minute. Um, it's nothing, it's not a new challenge, it's an old challenge. Several uh, months ago, I think I challenged you with what I call the three, two, one challenge. And what I want to challenge you to do is three, two, one is this. Number three, I want to challenge you over the next few weeks as we lead up to Christmas is to invite three different friends to church. Uh, specifically, the Christmas service would be awesome. Um, I've got a card right here, and it's the Christmas at North Valley, and I've got a wrote on it, and I want to encourage you to write on yours, and I wrote for Carl, and Carl's my buddy who works over at V's Barbershop, and Carl, if you're watching this, I'm coming for you, buddy, and I'm going to invite, I've already invited you, now I'm going to give you the card, so I forgot the card the other day, and he said he's going to bring his mom, and so if you want to meet Carl, just attend all the services with me, and I'm sure he'll be at one of them. So, uh, but I want to challenge you to invite somebody um, because the good news of Jesus Christ is eternal life. And that is awesome. I want to be with Carl in heaven. And uh, I know that the message in the life of Jesus brings life. So I want to encourage you to do that. Invite three folks um, to, to the Christmas services. And two, I want to challenge you to serve one, attend one. That means for the Easter services, just uh, the Easter service. Look at me. The Christmas services, I want to challenge you to attend one and serve one. We've got a number of Christmas services you can see there. Uh, you can just talk to uh, Kaylee with guest services and get uh, checked in, and we'd love to have you be a part of that. 
And then last but not least, I want to challenge you to give a one-time gift above and beyond your regular giving at this church. We're, we're working hard to finish this big building out here. It's the last and the largest building on our campus that's existing, and we're getting close. But we wanted to add a few more projects to get that done for the kids. Um, we're going to put turf out there. And we're going to put a gabion wall out there. It's a steel and stone wall. You'll get a stone. You can write your Bible verse on it or a cool little message and put it in that fence one day. And we'll iron that thing shut and it'll be there forever. And uh, we had a family, two families step forward and said, we want to help with that. We want to offer an incredible gift to help the church fulfill that vision for the kids. And two families said, we'll give $20,000 as a matching gift. Another family said, we'll give $20,000 as a matching gift to encourage our church to move forward and and finish that project. So I want to challenge you. Would you step forward and give a one-time gift above and beyond your regular giving and let's finish that project out there. Amen? Some of you are like, I don't know. Amen. Let's celebrate that just for a minute. All right, let's stand and worship together, will we? Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.